Hello, and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today we're going to talk about a few things, gender, male-dominated culture, female-dominated culture, and its effects on yoga, and government, and a lot of stuff in between. For some time, I've, I've been a woman, really the whole time. My first yoga teacher was a man, and that man happened to be my dad, who got into yoga in an effort to improve his health. So I kind of didn't realize for a while that yoga was such a female-dominated field. The history of yoga, the ancient rishis, were men. In India, a life of asceticism and contemplation was an option only for men. I mean, pretty much just as it was here in the U.S. But somewhere along the way, as yoga became more westernized, it became a pursuit predominantly for women, so much so that it's an ongoing challenge to include men in the yoga community at large. It's not always easy for a man to walk into a yoga class, a group of 20 or 30 women, and do something vulnerable. Just like it's not easy for a woman to walk into a boardroom, a group of a dozen men, and do something vulnerable. At this point, and these numbers are rough, yoga as an industry is taking in somewhere near $30 billion a year. That's a B. And all that money is focused on only about 15 to 20% of the population, mostly upper class white women. So what does that mean for yoga? It means, among other things, that the pictures we see of yoga are exclusive It looks like yoga is only for women who are mostly white, who fit a certain body type, and have a certain income level. And that's not good for anyone. The people who do not see themselves represented may not feel welcome. And the people who do see themselves in yoga culture are deprived of different perspectives and points of view. When the yoga people we all see all look the same, it's shitty. It just is. We don't see the fullness of human experience, and that is what yoga is really about. Recently, there's been an increase in body positive yoga, or yoga for every body, or curvy girl yoga. And there's a movement towards inclusivity, if only by baby steps. And I have thoughts about that, of course, in that I think this is a good direction to move in, but like everything in marketing, and make no mistake, this may have started as a grassroots movement for inclusivity by real women feeling ostracized by the Barbie yoga community, and I get that, but it has since evolved into marketing, and once marketing is involved, authenticity cannot stick around for long. I mean, it can try, but I've spent 20 years in advertising, and uh, once money like that is involved, it's really tough to keep truth alive. People do it occasionally, um, or maybe sometimes some truth and authenticity like get stuck to the original concept, even as it goes through all the, the machinations of marketing, but mostly it's bleached out, crushed, disappeared into the night. So... Where was I? Yeah, there's been this idea of moving in the direction of inclusiveness, but guess what? Yoga, real yoga, does not give a flying F what kind of body you have. Not the yoga I was taught. What matters is that you know about your body, that you tune in, that you listen, 
that you are aware of your body in each moment, whatever body that is. Because the body is our ticket to the present moment. The body and the breath, that is seriously all we have. Everything that goes on in the mind is unreliable. Truly, we mostly plan for the future, and that's not the present moment, or dwell on the past, also not the present moment. So our bodies are our only ticket to now. Come along for the ride, because now is the only thing we have any say in. So we may as well be here. Another thing, I noticed myself saying real yoga, and real yoga isn't about this, and real yoga is about this other thing, and I really hear the danger in saying that. First of all, I am not speaking for like every human in the universe, so who am I to say what real yoga is? And as I mentioned, historically, yoga was not particularly democratic or gender equal. Some of the ancient texts go into detail about the length of one's beard or mustache. Not inclusive. And present-day yoga is doing no better. The present-day yoga establishment is not opening its heart to the gender spectrum or breadth of experience in many ways. But the teachings of yoga... The tools offered are absolutely available to any person. That's what I'm talking about. The skills of non-judgmental self-awareness, of discovery, of compassion, all of those skills are available to anyone and everyone who is willing to get in there and dig around. So I'm talking here about men and women, feminine energy and masculine energy, and I'm doing that as an example. Let's open the doors wide. Let everyone in, because the more people who have those tools and those skills, the better off everyone is going to be. And the more we can access the masculine and the feminine within ourselves, the more balanced we become as individuals. It's long been said that yogis have been able to gain conscious control of even involuntary bodily functions, like slowing or stopping the heart going long periods of time without food and water. Items like these are, in my opinion, just me, a bit of a red herring. For most of us, there's no need to stop our hearts to prove we're doing yoga right. What is interesting about this to me is looking at these cases as a parable. Did Jesus turn water to wine and one loaf into many? I don't know, but he's good at sharing, right? Did Sri Krishnamacharya demonstrate to doctors in 1935 that he could stop his heart completely, showing no describable pulse? I don't know, but yoga does increase heart rate variability, which is one measure of heart health. It sure does. So science has proven that yoga and meditation are very good at improving overall health for men and women. So let's talk about men and women for just a second, outside of the sphere of yoga. The vast majority of political leaders and nearly all Fortune 500 CEOs are men. In the industries that make our economy run, such as finance, manufacturing, technology, agriculture, men are in the majority of leadership positions by a gigantic margin. Let's juxtapose that with how we lately are defining success. A successful leader in the 21st century can be defined as someone who can be transformational, not someone that just lets status quo be status quo. These definitions, by the way, are coming from Dr. Alice Eagley, and I'll link to that uh, in the show notes. 
A successful leader, according to this research, is defined as someone who, one, cares. They care about developing the people that work for them or the people they're in charge of, of whom they are in charge. They want these people to grow. Two, they listen and encourage these people to think outside the box, right? If we're talking status quo out the window, we have to encourage outside the box thinking. Three, they're inspirational. And four, they're ethical. Dr. Ely contends that women are more likely to possess these qualities than men. And if you don't buy that, take it up with Dr. Eagley, but we could posit instead that nurturing, compassion, ethical North Star could be described as more feminine leadership qualities than uh, power, drive, ambition, bottom line, which could be described as more masculine qualities. We're talking in generalities here in part because this is a discussion about ideas and I'm using stats, science, and reports to back it up. Well, men run shit right now. They just do. And they have in the U.S. since our inception. So if women are so much better at men than being this new definition of successful leaders, why are all these men in leadership positions? Aren't they succeeding? Uh, maybe. I mean, there are a gazillion CEOs. The ones we hear about are the ones that are embezzling money or saying stupid things or trapped in some other kind of scandal. And there are many we don't hear about that are doing a fine job. So it would be unfair to say CEOs are men, CEOs are failing, and therefore men are failing. I don't think that would be a fair thing to say. But men do run shit right now. And right now could use some improvement. I mean, it's still the best time to be around. I mean, the chances of getting eaten by a tiger are way down. Dying of dysentery in this country is rare for those of us in the U.S. We do have running water, most of us. I mean, it is a joy, really. On the other hand, we keep on seeing the same problems crop up in leadership. Corruption, ego, power struggles. And wouldn't it be cool if our leaders exhibited more of these quote-unquote feminine qualities? If braggadocio were valued less than, say, a willingness to listen. If perfection were valued less than a willingness to learn from our mistakes. If ambition took a backseat to inclusion. I think, I think that would be great. Because as I put this show together, we are still in a whose dick is bigger competition with North Korea, and I'd really just rather not. Now, am I saying a woman, any woman, would not be ambitious, driven, and prone to war? I am not. I am talking instead about qualities known as feminine and qualities known as masculine, the way we define those things, and what it means when we as a nation are out of balance. Right now, our government is out of balance, I mean, in a ton of ways, but also in its masculine and feminine qualities. And that happens to be exemplified so beautifully by our president who would rather grab a woman by the pussy than take on some of her feminine leadership qualities. The good news in my eyes is that our society is sometimes in some places starting to lean into feminine leadership qualities in some ways. Man, I really caveated the crap out of that one. The concept of the boss is changing. People are making their own schedules and 
negotiating their own wages, working remotely, project by project, instead of at a full-time office place. And those are some real trends that are really going on in business today. And you can trust me, even though I used the phrase office place. Startup culture, though run by men, and I would note some horribly behaved men, does value out-of-the-box thinking, pushing aside the status quo. Smaller companies are making their way, and gigantic companies like Google are showing, in some cases, ethical leadership. People are sometimes starting to shame companies with policies they don't like, and we're working towards a greater universal balance. We're all age of Aquarius now. Side note on age of Aquarius. As I understand it, until now, everything has been built like a pyramid. All people answer to one individual at the top, and that's a construct that works in religion, government, families. It's super stable, but somewhat limited. Now we're moving into an age where individuals are assuming more power. That's what I was talking about when I was talking about the project-by-project structure and changing the nature of work. We might be moving towards a structure where there is no more pyramid, and some people have fingers crossed, no more patriarchy. All the norms we know are kind of going out the window, and old systems are breaking down. So believe that or don't, but ancient Egyptians and the Mayans and all the hippies are saying we're right in the middle of this transformation, and that's the age of Aquarius. And maybe it's true. I don't know. Now, star signs aside, I know some of this is just too layered and too complicated and emotional to present here in any coherent way. I know I am skimming a lot of this, and all men and all women is never a good way to have a conversation. It's just way, way too broad. So let me narrow back down from this broad view and talk less about the macro and more about the micro. What does this mean for any of us? I don't know if I can really tackle the women in leadership thing effectively here. It's a bumpy road. It's macro. I spent some time thinking about this issue in my last job as a creative director at an ad agency. Almost 90% of creative directors are men. And most people in charge of the household finances in this country are women. So that doesn't make sense. Again, though, this is a macro issue, a big one, and one that won't change overnight. I thought we were on the way. Honestly, I did in the last election. I thought we were with Hillary. Was taking health care away from 22 million people going to be a thing with her? No, it really wasn't. Was bombastic tweeting about North Korea going to be a problem? Surely not. Uh, Would Nazis feel comfortable rising up and uh, putting a bold face on white supremacism? I'm sure there would have been other problems, other hurdles with a first female president, but those were not them. But the pendulum swung the other way. We went old school patriarchy. We went top of the pyramid. I'm still dealing with that emotionally. A lot of my yoga friends and spiritual friends talk about this as an awakening. Maybe all these things needed to come to the forefront. Maybe we need to see this shadow side in order to bring it out into the light. Maybe we can no longer pretend there is no racism in our country. A fact, I imagine, that people who suffer from daily racism are either pleased with or rolling their eyes about. But the truth is, we can no longer pretend that there is no racism or sexism or cronyism. It's all out there. The skeletons are out of the closet, you know? So, now what? Now we all do yoga. I mean, that's my solution, of course. Everybody breathe. And as far as the American yoga machine goes, let's stop with this idea that yoga is for one gender. 
because it's just as ridiculous now as it was 2,000 years ago when yoga was just for men. So is broga okay and a thing? Well, it is a thing, and I think the name is dumb, but whatever works. If men feel more comfortable beginning this practice in a room full of people who may be facing the same physical and emotional limitations, then sure. If it gets people in the door, then go for it. But having men in a yoga class is also good for women and fantastic for teachers. As a teacher, you'll notice you become a better teacher the wider variety of experiences you take into your perspective, which come to think of it is probably true for all humans. Yoga is about union, uniting the dark and the light, the effort and the ease, the masculine and the feminine. Not just male and female bodies, but the masculine and feminine qualities we all have within us. What we're going to do today is a breath practice where we work on developing balance between the masculine and feminine within us by balancing the right and left hemispheres of the brain and of the body. This is alternate nostril breathing, and you know, we did an alternate nostril breathing exercise together once before, but it's so, so perfect for bringing some action to this intention. I think it bears repeating because we need both energies, masculine and feminine, for our health and for our lives. We have to be strong to be flexible. Also, doing something once doesn't, you know, make it a habit. If you've been doing alternate nostril breathing for five minutes a day since episode nine, kudos to you and then write me a note to tell me about it speaking of writing me a note i do want to thank you for listening to yoga for the revolution if you're not already subscribed you can do so on itunes google play stitcher and pocket casts please do rate the podcast on itunes or wherever it would be nice and you can always find back episodes on yogafortherevolution.org there's a place where you can email me or just write me at contact at yogafortherevolution.org you can talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution or follow on Twitter at Y underscore F underscore T underscore R. And hey, guess what? I made you a present that you can buy. It's t-shirts. Yes, we now have t-shirts and sweatshirts. There are four styles. We have a don't lose heart and a tigers and tweets in honor of our non-discerning nervous system. And of course, there's a yoga for the revolution logo shirt as well as one with the phrase, stay limber, the revolution is coming. There's a link on the site, or you can go straight to the shop on Threadless at yogafortherevolution.threadless.com. For the rest of this week, for the rest of August, all proceeds are going to the Southern Poverty Law Center to help them combat hatred in our country. And then after that, any money made will be dumped right back into this here podcast production. This really isn't a money thing. It's just a, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have t-shirts kind of thing. So please enjoy. Alternate nostril breathing, as you might guess, has us breathing through one nostril at a time. So if you're stuffy at all, if you have a cold or allergies, you may want to blow your nose first before we start. Take your dominant hand, right or left, I'm not picky. Bring the pointer and middle finger into the palm. Those are your peace sign, I'm not a crook fingers. They bend down and touch the palm. The thumb sticks out and your ring and pinky finger stick out. The thumb will serve to close off the right nostril as you breathe into the left. And then when you switch, you'll remove the thumb and the ring finger will close off the left nostril. 
to balance the right and left sides. It's recommended to do this for five minutes a day. That's just five minutes a day. Also, if you don't end up doing that because we're human and resistant to change, just do it whenever you think about it. In fact, you don't even really have to use the hands. If you want, you can try this with no hands and concentrate on inhaling and exhaling through each individual nostril separately. I think that's harder, but I'm just giving you options. Let's walk through it with the hands. Find a steady seat. Sits bones grounded, feet grounded. Or if you're standing, just stand with your spine long so there's plenty of room for your lungs. Take a few moments to deepen your breath and find an even inhalation and exhalation. It can help to close your eyes to help you focus on the breath. Get your hand position ready and go ahead and close your right nostril with your thumb and draw in air from the left nostril. Do this as slowly as you can until your lungs are full. Now release the thumb and close the left nostril with your ring finger. Then breathe out slowly through the right nostril. Take air in from the same side from the right nostril. Switch and exhale through the left. Release. That's one round. Shake it off. We'll do that a few times together. I'll lead it through, but your job is to be aware of your own breath. Take a deep breath in through both nostrils. Inhale and then let it all go. Go ahead and close your right nostril with the thumb. Inhale left. Close the left. Exhale right. Inhale left. Close off the left. Switch and exhale right. Inhale right. Switch and exhale left. Inhale left. Switch and exhale right. Inhale right. And exhale left. Inhale left. Exhale right. Inhale right. Switch and exhale left. Inhale left. Switch. Exhale right. Inhale right. Switch and exhale left. Release your hands. Release the technique. Breathe fully through both nostrils. Take a moment to notice. Notice your thoughts and your state of mind. How you feel in the body, your energy level, your mood. Do you feel warm or cool, light or heavy, dull or alert? Just notice. If you haven't already, gently begin to open your eyes, breathe normally. We have very little control over the macro, the nation, the culture at large and even less control over the stars. The difference each one of us can make is with the individual, the micro. 
uniting and encouraging balance within us. So until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.